cool. Hello, and welcome to another special edition of Andrew's Philosophercast. Um, my special guest today, George Bull. Do you want to say hello, George? Hello, guys. Hello again. Uh, we hope you're all keeping well in these these troubling times. Uh, and so to get you through them, we're going to introduce um, three special uh, special podcasts um, on the nature, or, or sorry, on the relationship between uh, philosophy and mathematics. Now, this is one of George's um, real sort of favourite favourite topics of discussion, and he's broken this down into sort of, uh, and he's he's going to call this the three tragedies of infinity. So he'll give a uh, a little bit of uh, a philosophical discourse on on mathematics and philosophy and sort of the, the theories of it, but he's going to tell it in three tragedies. Just before we get started, this is a little bit different to the rest of our course, which is which is again sort of based around the A-level. This is all just um, a little bit of fun in these these difficult times. So um, we're going to get started here and just, just to sort of give you a little bit of, a little bit of background, we're going to talk about sort of, um, well as with most philosophy, it's, it's kind of based around the Greeks. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, about other cultures other than the Greeks. I mean, obviously, there's uh, when we're talking about maths, we could sort of talk about the Hindu relationship, the Hindu idea of numbers. They they gave a dot. The Arabs, uh, the Arabic philosophers, invented the concept of zero. We'll talk about the Kalam argument a little bit later on, and this this concept of infinity that grows up out of sort of philosophical discourse. Um, but before, well, best place to get started is probably with the pre-Socratic. Philosopher. So uh, George is going to get us started on this. George, what's your, uh, what is it we're going to talk about today? Right. So I think when you talk about the pre-Socratics, this is this is 150 years before Plato. So it was old in Plato's day. Um, so we've got to take it all very carefully. Um, this is the first opening. This is the first sort of literature, first sort of written down thinking. Really. So um, always quick to. Quick to criticise, quick to think, oh, that's just silly. But I think there is a lot of wisdom in in, uh, in the pre-Socratics. I mean, the, the the two that we're going to look at here with infinity um, is Stalys and Anaximander. So the overarching concept is one of Aperon. So that's their god. That's their everything. Now Aperon um, can be defined variously as boundless or formless. So you can see immediately how we're somehow getting towards the concept of infinity. Um, is that making sense so far, Andrew? Yeah, I've got it so far. So Aperon is like the, my understanding was with the, the sort of early Greek sort of philosophers is that it's more natural theology than philosophy anyway, isn't it? and that it's this idea of sort of reality and truth as well as sort of mixed in with God, isn't it? So it's that that Aperon thing. Yeah, yeah. But while this is important, and I think with the Greeks is this sort of. Uh, family tree of philosophers, the master and apprentice approach. Yeah, yeah. This concept of the boundless being God, somehow being good, and the infinite being, it's a bit like the original sin argument, God was perfect, boundless, and the universe, our creation is somehow, um, can't, is similar, but isn't the same. It's right. just a bastardization of, of the boundless, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some quote from Tali's, what is divine, that which has neither beginning nor end. Well, I like that, and that links back to that sort of Kalam argument again on the nature of infinity, doesn't it? So, anybody doing that, doing their philosophy course, that's that's a good little quote you could put in there. I like that one. 
So explain the Kalama argument, Andrew. I know this is jumping back another way, but I think it's a good segue. All right, okay. So the Kalama argument, it's, it's something that, that William Craig uses with his version of the cosmological argument. So it's, it's again, it's linking to that thing of uh, God, is, God, God must be infinite because it doesn't have a beginning and end. So the Kalama argument is, is an exploration on the nature of, infi- of what infinity is. So uh, the Arab philosophers behind it, I, I'm not sure which one it was, um, comes up with this idea of a library. And I know you like to talk about libraries and all that sort of thing, George. Um, so he talks about a library with an infinite number of green and an infinite number of red books. And he says, well, how many, how many books would you have if you took out 100 million green books? He says, well, you'd have an infinite amount of green books left. And he goes, what about 100 million, billion, gazillion, quintillion? And you'd have an infinite number of green books. And he says, how many books would you have left if you took out an infinite number of green books? Well, he says you'd still have an infinite number of green books. So it gives you this idea that infinity must be without beginning or end. Yeah. It, and it's used, yeah. it's used with the cosmological argument because you say that our universe, you, can't, you, you can add and subtract to. So, so roughly, I don't know, it's at five minutes ago, we started this, so we subtracted time to it. In about five minutes, we'll stop. So our universe must be finite because you can add and subtract to it. No, that's really useful. And I, I think if listeners are going to listen to all three of these, that's an exact uh, mirror image of uh, Hilbert's Hotel. Um, but we'll get into that for yeah. a good podcast three. So I never knew about that that Kalam argument, but it's exactly the same as what we're going to talk about um, in the modern invention of uh, mathematics of infinity. But that's that's later on. But that, that's a really good uh, example of how the, the ancients. It, it, I think a lot of people, uh, like when I was reading about Tali's and Infinity, are, oh, well, um, they, this is them saying about the heat death of the universe or global warming or uh, mm-hmm. the multiverse. Well, you can read too much into it, but de- I think the key points are with the pre-Socratics is that um, the infinity is linked to um, what's perfect is linked to God in inverted commas, the creator, and that is boundless. So I think with the Greeks, you've got to think, and you can see Plato in this, perfection um, outside of our universe, untouchable from ours, completely different. It, 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 it's divinity, isn't it? It's yeah. almost, it, it's separate. Yeah, I like that. Very good. Were you going to talk a little bit about Pythagoras here, George? Yes. So, again, this is this is this family tree of the Greek philosophy. Um, the latest, where Thales and Akhtamandu from on the Turkish coast, is in the same part of the Greek Empire is where, uh, well, not a million miles away from where Samos was. Yeah. Samos is a uh, stomping ground of Pythagoras. Now, Pythagoras, um, everyone knows from the triangle, is square the hypotenuse equals the square of the two sides. Yep. Um, and Pythagoras, again, this divinity concept, he worshipped as a god, he had these magic, like someone like the X-Men with his golden thigh and his magical powers and his cult <laughs> around him. Whether he was real or not, um, it was very interesting. And, and, and you think that his followers following the cult, um, and, and, and they they sort of flipped on its head a little bit, though. So it is a bit confusing. They they seem um, the finite is sort of perfect. So so they they like numbers that they could represent as fractions. So <laughs> this is where this is where my the obvious I've read Andrew mathematicians <laughs> and Pythagoras. And when he's doing his triangles, like to be able to represent things um, with fractions. Now, this is where the first tragedy comes in, so everyone's got to strap into this. 
But a number that you can represent, uh, represent as a fraction um, is a rational number. Yes. So that's that's the answers we'd normally give in um, pre-comprehensive math. So at school, if there's ever an, uh, an equation or a, a fraction, that would that would give you the answer perfectly. There'd be nothing left over. Now the difficulty with Pythagoras is if you look at um, a square of size one and one, so a one one centimeter cube. If you see what I mean. Yes. The hypotenuse, and um, the difficulty we've got there is it's the sum of the two squares, so it's a square root of two. Now, the square root of two is what, uh, obviously we've got the wisdom of modern mathematics, is an irrational number. It cannot be represented as a fraction. You can get close, but you can never get there. It's, in a sense, boundless. You can always add decimals to it. You can't make the biggest square in the universe of equal sides. You'll not get the answer. Do you see what I mean? Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? So is it that this is the idea that sort of mathematics can't express reality? Uh, correct. Now, that's a really good point, Andrew. What we've got to think, now, I might be getting my timeline wrong. Um, uh, the overarching legend here is Euclid, and he felt that with a, a ruler and a set of compasses, you could solve our maths. You can just crack on and go through it. But that's not the case. This is the first bit where we can start slipping. Now... So the first tragedy here is one of Pythagoras's crew, a guy called Hippasus, he figured out the secret of the, these irrational numbers that would come out from the squares. And so what they did is, oh, well, let's go on a, a little journey on the ship. So they got him on the ship, and then he started spreading the rumours to uh, Pythagoras's enemies. So Pythagoras's mob chucked them overboard, shipwrecked them, killed them. That's a sad end to anyone who points out the... The fallacies of their teachers, eh, George? It's sad, eh? I hope you listen and listen to that, students. Listen to what I tell you. Exactly. You had to keep a street cred, Pythagoras. You couldn't <laughs> let this out. So, so the, but this is where the divinity concept... I think we just, we're coming from the angle of maths and philosophy, but Pythagoras um, revered as a god sort of character. Um, so that's why they would attract this guy like that. It's the same as... Well, we'll see later on with the, uh, the Catholic Church, Galileo, and this and that. But I think we've got to think of it at the same sort of level. Yeah, very interesting. Do you want to move on to Plato now, George? Yes. So, well, I think you probably explain the forms better than me. But I think the first point with Plato is over the head of the academy um, was written, let no one ignorant of geometry enter here. So, again, <laughs> geometry seen as a window into the perfect um, was was a sort of forerunner to philosophy so you'd only be doing your maths your geometry before you studied philosophy and I think obviously now people that study philosophy aren't often very mathematically minded it's, 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 the, it's the opposite isn't it I think that George has got a good point there um, sort of with, with the schools the three things he had were rhetoric geometry and wrestling in Plato's case uh, interesting guy Plato uh, remember, his, his name Plato means means big head in Greek, which was his his wrestling name. So, a master of mathematics, of philosophy, and all sorts of finishing moves, no doubt. Plato's uh, ideas were, were the, the the world of the forms or the ideals, where he was saying that this world is just a shadow of the world of well, the real world of the forms. He says that because there's no permanence here. Um, there's no perfection here. There's no beauty here. He fam- famously gives the analogy the cave 
to sort of and Glaucon to to explain this. I do think that with what Plato's saying and what George is saying, there's there's a lot of mileage here, because what Plato's saying is almost that there's no perfection to be found here. But he does say that sort of ideas or innate learning, and mathematics falls into this, is something that comes from the world of the forms. So he's saying that the, the it's all, well, he's not saying this, but you can almost imagine this, that the theory of mathematics or geometry is perfect, but it can't, exp you, you can't show the evidence for that in this world because this world is imperfect. Um, now, this is probably something George and I will be talking about in a couple of episodes with Bertrand uh, and Russell and everything, where we're talking about this idea that the, the what is maths? Is the, is the theory, is the way that we express reality, is the, is the flawed system? So that, that's sort of Plato's take on it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a really good explanation. Um, it's this sort of netherworld we can see, we can, we can limitedly see, Sort of scratching the circles, scratching. It's never quite getting there. Just flickers in there, hmm. in the cave wall, isn't it? What's the quote about the the horses pulling the carriages, George? That's for episode uh, three, Andrew. All oh, right, sorry. Okay, well, a little bit of a teaser for <laughs> you. So, so yeah, so so Plato, like the Godfather. Um, that, that that again, it, I, I think it's just a maybe a more logical, a more literary version of. Um, the basic stuff that Tony's and that upper one, it, it's a very similar concept, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think he just puts more meat on the bones, isn't it? But I don't, I don't think it's a massive um, difference from, from what they, they were teaching early on. What about Zeno and Zeno's paradox, George? You got any anything to right. add? Right. So, I think when we start talking about Zeno, this is after Pythagoras, this is when we, well, I guess Pythagoras' uh, solution to um, the first sort of problems of looking at the infinite or the infinitely small um, was to kill somebody. <laughs> Zeno, this is when we're going to start grappling with it. So Zeno, um, he was a pupil of Parmenides, how do you say that name? Oh, Parmenides, is it? Parmenides, yeah. So, <clears throat> and again, the, sort of, the thing to be careful of here is Parmenides, I think, is the guy that thought um, the world is just one thing, so everything's impossible because you just you can't change your concept of one thing, so it's it's just you can't move away from it, get any closer. It's just it's just sort of static. Mm -hmm. So, so Zeno, right? So he had a he's famous for his paradoxes. So probably the simplest one to explain is uh, Achilles, uh, the tortoise. Very good. Yep, famous. So this is a race. So the tortoise gets ahead, um, and Achilles is going to catch up the tortoise. So anybody, any rational person, Achilles is going to be some top sprinter, um, and the tortoise is going to go to absolutely well, not snail's place, tortoise place. So, <laughs> so obviously, obviously, Achilles is going to win. But what Zeno says is, hold on a second here. Whatever distance um, Achilles has to do to catch up. We can just look at half of the distance again, and that'll take them some element of time. Yeah. So we can just cut it up indefinitely forever. And how is you going to make that um, that gap up? Because just half the difference. What about half of that distance? What about half of that distance? Yeah. Half, 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 half. It, it's just infinite regress. So you could look at it and think, well, 
he's never going to get there. But you could obviously run this race, and example, you could do a science experiment, couldn't you? And every time, Achilles is going to win unless he gets injured, you know what I mean? So um, I think this is the first time when we start seeing um, a paradox, a true paradox of an infinity. Is this an idea... Is this an idea that we'll get a sort of difficulty here? And I just wanted to intrude at this point because I always feel that it's a really, really interesting point that you're making, but is this not a problem with our language and not with mathematics? Is it a, is it a difficulty in us, the way we express mathematics, or a difficulty with mathematics? Good point. Uh, my take is, um, I, I wonder whether he's more resting on the numbers because... Because numbers, um, and I think the next person we're going to talk about gives the answer, one of the answers, um, is you can't just keep splitting them, can't you? Yeah. We've got two quantities. Um, now if you remember GC physics, um, speed and we've got distance and time, haven't we? Mm -hmm. You can keep splitting distance and you can keep splitting time forever. Yeah. There's no limit there. There's no one says, oh, you've done your last division now, lads, get home. <laughs> It just keeps going. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. as long as you can divide, which why would you be able to stop? There's always going to be another bit for Achilles to, to go, and there's always going to be a little time for him to go. Just, do you see what I mean? So, yeah, it, it's a good point. It's an interesting one. Um, have we got? Do you want? To, have we got time to do Aristotle, George? Well, Aristotle does provide one neat answer. So, Aristotle, um, all things to all people, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He, he is split from uh, Plato is that Aristotle was more of a scientist, a scientific mind. So Father of science, yeah. The great empiricist. Pardon? The great empiricist. Yeah. Rather than just talk about forms and caves, I'll go and measure the cuttlefish and look at the berries and look at the fields and all this stuff. So anyway, well, Aristotle's sort of solution to Zeno is that there's two forms of infinite, um, the potential and the actual. Yes, very good. So, so the potential is like the count numbers or the um, the distance Achilles has to travel. Yeah, We can keep splitting them up, but you're not going to be able to. You have to rock in at some point, won't you? Because yes. we're humans, we're finite. Yeah. So potentially you could go on ever, but you're not going to be able to do it. Um, it's like the kid in the playground, I'm just going to keep having 10 and think of the biggest number. Yeah. Well, he's got to own by now, isn't he? He's got a job, he's left school. <laughs> so you're not going to keep on going. So I think that's really clever solution um, to the to the real world and I, I think it does get out of the paradox I mean when the day if you both got time and distance um, cutting them both up doesn't really make a lot of sense it's like because um, it's, it's shorter distances but shorter time as well yeah so in a second there's, a, there's an infinite there but it goes over in a second if you see what I mean yeah I think it's an interesting one there. I mean, the potential that was really, for all my students, that was a really good explanation of potentiality and actuality. I think it links loads to sort of uh, A.J. Ayer and his like, verification principle, where he talks about practical verifiability and verifiability in principle, um, where like with infinity, you can sit there and try and count up to it, or you can just accept. And some would say this is a flaw, and it sort of blithely accept that, that it makes sense and it must go on. And I think this is this is an interesting thing, and, and maybe it's a good one, a good place to stop, because we're going to look at like the relationship between mathematics and logic. I would think, George. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. Is there anything more you want to add, Mister Bull? No, I think I think it's a 
it's a good summation of the first. Uh, well, we're not even we're still in the BCs, aren't we? Really? Yeah. So this is. I think it's important for people to get. This is what people are grappling on. Um, what is it? Are we closer? So it's one of these. Are we closer to them? Sort of thing. I think, like you think of the Battle of Hastings a long time ago. Um, way closer to the Battle of Hastings than, than Zeno and Plato were the Battle of Hastings. See what I mean? Yeah. So a long, long time ago. So I think we've got to give these guys a lot of credit. And like Aristotle's solution, the potential actual is a beautiful one. Really. Yeah, it is a good um, one. So I think, like you say, I think that's a good place to start for episode one. We've got one death. Death counts one. Um, Many more to come. So, Follow for more tragedy next week. Right. Well, we'll draw that on an end. Thank you very much, George, and I look forward to uh, to speaking to you about this again uh, again tomorrow. Take it easy, Bye, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye.